I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast It is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly here welcoming you on board to the show this week and hey, it's just me again. Kevin's away again this week as he has been for quite a number of weeks throughout the season thus far, but he's uh, been off and doing important things. He's been busy getting uh, ready for the wedding, which is over, and the honeymoon, which is over. Now they're moving into the new house, so there's been plenty going on in Kevin's life and uh, he'll be back soon enough and can't wait till he's back because it means I'll have to do 50% less talking, which is probably good for all of us here. But hey, (laughs) we're going to push on regardless because we're talking about Formula One. It's our favorite sport and there's a ton of news to talk about this week. We have a British Grand Prix at Silverstone coming up this weekend. It's one of my favorites. I know I say that every week, but... I love Formula One. What can I say? Anyways, before we get into the show this week, there are a couple of shout outs I want to give. And I usually don't do these right off at the top, but hey, let's be a little bit different this week. Uh, First of all, we got a review that came in via Apple Podcasts, and that's from uh, Maybe Not in the USA. And the the review was uh, a five-star review, which is uh, absolutely uh, wonderful. And the comment was, second only to BBC's F1 podcast. Not bad for a couple of Canadians. There are several other F1 shows, of course, but the forced laughs make them a painful listen stick to these two that's uh, absolutely awesome love it it's great to get uh, the reviews on apple Podcasts because we don't ask for money around here we don't need it we get uh, all our costs covered by our sponsors which is great we're not in it for the money we're here because we love f1 and if you want to show us a little love want to show us a little bit of support the best and easiest and the quickest way just go to apple Podcasts or wherever you download and listen to the show just leave a, a rating and review there it really does help and it helps uh, make the show more visible and uh, it helps uh, grow the audience which is basically all we want to do we want to share our love with formula one with uh, with all you guys out there and um, that's the best way to do it all right moving along we've got uh, another email to to get to and that is from david thompson and david uh david's email is uh, as follows it is my favorite out of all the f1 podcasts i live and listen to i'm hoping this is right the right podcast to ask i was wondering if you could talk about what you know about the steering wheel and display such as can a driver see if the lap is faster slower than the last one can the driver see the status of the gap between the car in front or in back and what other useful info can the driver learn other uh, than what gear it's in or the speed of the car or does the driver need to ask his engineer by radio then are some private uh, transmissions private and others public okay so there is a lot to unpack in, uh, in in this email and first of all david thanks for sending that in of course and the Formula One steering wheel is obviously as complicated as you would expect it to be because it's Formula One. There's nothing simple or straightforward about it, but there are a number, like a, quite a lot of different things going on there. Uh, obviously, on the reverse, uh, the back side of the steering wheel, you have the, 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 the paddles that you have for the up and the downshift on the car, which uh, you see in, in a lot of road cars nowadays. I have them in my own car, and uh, it's really kind of cool uh, to, to be able to, to have the control of the car Obviously, that's a major system in the Formula One car. You have the the, uh, the, the pit limiter. You have a, a button for neutral, which if you hold it down long enough, will put the car into reverse. There are a number of different uh, switches where you can adjust the, uh, the, uh, the differential on the entry and also in the middle of a corner gives them the control over the amount of understeer or oversteer, brake balance, all sorts of different things. There's the, uh, the start mode, the engine modes. There are, it's literally limitless. I, I really don't know how these guys uh, can go around at over 200 miles an hour making uh, on average somewhere between 50 and 70 uh, gear shifts uh, well both up and down shifts over the course of the 
lap, monitor what's going on in the car in front of them, monitoring what uh, what the car is doing, and make all these switches um, uh, to the uh, or make all the changes on the switches and dials. Uh, it, it's absolutely uh, ab- amazing. <laughs> I mean, these guys are not only fantastic racers, but I mean they are managing the car, and it really is uh, very very impressive because. If you go around and what I did in my research was that the way that a lot of these cars are designed is that by being able to give them control like with the differentials and the brake balance and the engine modes and things like that is basically taking a very complicated piece of machinery that is a Formula One car and essentially giving them the control and giving it a feel that they basically, a lot of the engineers say is similar to a go-kart, which a lot of these drivers are used to from, well, when they started racing when they're kids, which is uh, which is pretty cool. Now, as for the display, um, you know, in my research, there's not a lot that really came up out of that. So leads me to think that a lot of the uh, some of the or a lot of the information is out there is uh, propi- proprietary and confidential, and they don't really want it to, to go out there. Actually, there are quite a lot of really cool videos that are out there. Uh, Mercedes have put out quite a few. And uh, there is one uh, that was put out just a couple of months ago at the beginning of the season. And it was uh, Valtteri Bottas just explaining everything uh, on the steering steering wheel and what you can do about it. I mean, the steering wheels are even formed to their shape to their own hands, which, of course, is a detail that you would expect to see in Formula One. And uh, But the point is that uh, there, there were a couple of items that were uh, bleeped out and censored because uh, obviously it was a little bit uh, too sensitive uh, for uh, you know that to go out into the public uh, domain. But they do, of course, um, have a, a button that they can uh, talk uh, to the, uh, to the, um, uh, the, the, the pits and uh, get feedback from the the engineer because some of the things I did see is of course you do see the the um, the, the gear that you're in and also um, you have the, the the speed on there you do have a, a series of LEDs across the, the top of the steering wheels on some of these cars and when they hit red is uh, when the you're supposed to shift uh, gears and um, there will be a, a display on there that show um, the, the uh, I guess the status of a num- number of different systems in the car so the drivers can get uh, feedback on, uh, on what they're doing but certainly there is some back and forth uh, between themselves in the pits and uh, and the engineers. Although what with the new radio rules that came in a couple of years ago, uh, they are limited into what they, they can say and uh, and really coach them. Because when was it? Was it last year, the year before? I know uh, Lewis Hamilton was having some problems uh, with, uh, with, uh, with the engine, the engine mode in his car. And I remember them talking about it uh, during the time, during the race, that there were literally thousands of different uh, positions and combinations of the settings that they had, that that he had uh, available or, or or to choose in the car, and they just weren't able to to coach him from back in the in the pits as to I'll turn this knob to this position and that one to that one and uh, do this and that. You know, he basically had to kind of figure it out on his uh, own. Which you know, to a certain extent, uh, I mean, being a driver, uh, he knows what a lot of these things do, but. Some of the finer things, uh, you know, he kind of would need a, a little bit of coaching through, but uh, I think it uh, worked out uh, semi-okay for him. But as far as actually getting timing information, wasn't able to, to dig up anything on that. Of course, it, as you see nowadays, it hasn't changed from the old days when they go past the um, the, the, the the pits. You still have somebody leaning over the pit, ball, uh, pit wall with a board showing their, their position plus the gap uh, to the car and uh, in, in front of him and uh, behind him. So... Anyway, so that's that's what I could find in uh, the, this, the, the brief amount of time I had to, to look into it. So if you guys know any more, send it in. I'd love to share it and uh, put it out here on the show. Anyways, uh, like I said, we do have a British Grand Prix to look forward to uh, this weekend. And that's uh, where we're going to start off this weekend with good news that Silverstone has extended their British Grand Prix contract until 2024. And it's been a little bit up in the air. Well... Yeah, it, let, let's be honest. It, it was up in the air, and I was kind of concerned that it might not get done because they did uh, break their contract with Formula One because they did sign a very long multi-year contract um, right at the end of the Bernie Ecclestone era. And of course, being the way that uh, that uh, Bernie did business, there was a series of escalating fees each and every year just to host the event, and it was getting to the point that uh, it was just becoming financially difficult uh, for them to, um, to, to to make money off of it. 
it and uh, just to, to, to host the race, even though the British Grand Prix is typically very well supported, very well attended. And uh, it would have been a shame that uh, if they weren't able to, to keep it going. Anyways, they did have an out clause and they did exercise that in the recent past. And they have spent uh, quite uh, a significant amount of time renegotiating this uh, deal with uh, with Liberty Media, the current um, uh, operators and owners of uh, Formula One. And I'm really glad, glad to, uh, to, to, uh, to see it. And I mean, it was... Um, uh, well, they did trigger the break clause, and that was back in 2019, and that was uh, the contract they signed with uh, with Bernie Ecclestone way back in 2009. So it meant they uh, opted out of the remaining uh, five or six seasons, and that deal was uh, set to, uh, set to end in, in 2026. So this new deal is not going quite uh, as far, but it, it is really good news. And I, I've said over the past couple of years repeatedly that although I'm perfectly fine with uh, with, with Formula One exploring new venues and and, and new cities and new racetracks and new countries to go to, there are those core races, those historic uh, tracks in Formula One that for for me, it's got to be included each and every year. I I mean, I I can say it ad nauseum that to me, Formula One wouldn't be the same without the Italian Grand Prix, without the British Grand Prix, without the Belgian Grand Prix. And even though I'm not the biggest fan of of, of Monaco, uh, just the track, it's too small, it's too slow, it's too compact, there's rarely ever any passing... It is part of uh, Formula One. It, it is part of the history. And um, as much as it's not my favorite track, I still like to enjoy the spectacle. And I, I just take it with a pinch of salt. I just know that it's not going to be typically the most exciting race of the year, but it, it has had its its moments now and again. And it just would be inconceivable that Formula One would be without it. And the same with, uh, with Silverstone, that uh, if it was to go, it would just seem in- incredible to me that, uh, <laughs> that there wouldn't be a British Grand Prix, considering it is basically the Silicon Valley of Formula One. So many of the Formula One teams are built based near Silverstone. I mean, they all test there. And it's been a, a staple of Formula one for since time immemorial i know that there were times that way back when uh, i think they sort of um cir- or, uh, fluctuated or alternated between there and brands hatch if i remember correctly but i'm really pushing my memory um but it, it's good to see it is really good to see and uh, chase carey the uh, ceo of formula one said uh, we are really pleased to confirm that the british grand prix will stay on the calendar for at least the next five years with the event remaining at its long-standing home silverstone circuit we've always said that if it is to have a long-term future our sport must preserve its historic venues and Silverstone and Great Britain represent the cradle of the sport its starting point back in 1950. Today Formula One is a global sport held on five continents watched by an audience of over 500 million fans around the world and our aim is to grow this number by bringing the sport we love to new countries while also maintaining its root roots. Silverstone and the British Grand Prix are an integral part of that vision. So that's great to, to hear. And certainly it's, uh, the timing is uh, absolutely perfect. What with the British Grand Prix coming up just in a couple of days? Uh, obviously, by the time that this podcast goes out to download, that uh, we'll be into free practice and qualifying is just around the corner on Saturday. So an exciting weekend of racing coming up. But even though the Formula One has uh, renewed the deal with, uh, with Silverstone, the British Grand Prix for another five years. It is also out that uh, they are still looking to add a London race alongside Silverstone. And I think that's uh, really kind of cool. I've thought about it uh, quite a bit. uh, And this is no news. I mean, this has uh, been going back, uh, I think, even to last Christmas, uh, or certainly in the new year, uh, when this uh, when this came, uh, when this first came out. And I think it'd be kind of cool to see that, uh, you know, to have two races. I mean, geographically, they're not too far apart. But a lot of the European and, uh, races are certainly like that. I mean, it'd be a lot different than, say, adding a second uh, American race. I mean, we uh, we have uh, the, the U.S. Grand Prix at the Circuit of the Americas down in Austin, Texas. There's been talk about adding one in, in Miami. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, New York's been thrown out there. Vegas has been thrown out there. Hey, I wouldn't mind uh, a, a, a Grand Prix in Vegas. I mean, 
we always need another excuse to go to Vegas, right, guys? So, I mean, Formula One in Vegas seems like a good match to me. But, you know, just uh, joking aside here, I think it is uh, interesting. And um, Chase Carey uh, did say that uh, they have a lot of interest in places and uh, the discussion uh, with uh, that they're having with uh, London and the interested parties there are uh, ongoing. And uh, it's going to be what he says a different uh, experience. And uh, he's open to see where they're going to take it. And the, the, their short-term uh, f- uh, focus is to make sure, and this is uh, before the, the announcement uh, came out, um, that they were renewing with Silverstone. He said that in the short term, their, uh, their, their goal and their aim was to um, continue with Silverstone. So that's uh, out of the way. Um, but uh, they they recognize that Formula One has this um, desire to have destination, uh, destination city races. And he, he thinks that, um, that it brings new audiences uh, to, to Formula One. And certainly London is a massive city. It's a global center. I mean, it's a very diverse uh, city. And it'd be, uh, I, I think, uh, a possibility really worth exploring and uh, I think there's a, a lot to it and uh, it'll be interesting to see whether or not they can get a deal done and if they can get a deal done which part of London are, are they going to do it are they are we going to see it racing around the the streets of Westminster near the the Houses of Parliament in Big Ben Probably not, but it'd be uh, kind of cool. Or is it going to be somewhere else uh, in the city of, well, maybe not the city of London, because that's the, the financial heart uh, downtown. But is it going to be somewhere else in, in, in the greater London area? Well, it remains to be seen. But uh, certainly, I think that the, the uh, possibility and the, the idea of a second uh, a British race in London is tantalizing and very exciting. So we'll wait and see where it goes. Anyways, time for our first commercial break here. We're going to just step aside for a quick message from our sponsor. So don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. Welcome back to the podcast. Is always up to speed here on the Overtime Media Network. <clears throat> Excuse me. I guess I didn't get enough uh, <laughs> enough to drink in the pause there. Anyways, uh, talking about uh, possible races, we were just uh, discussing uh, the renewal of the British Grand Prix at Silverstone and the possibility of a second British race in London or in the, that uh, general area. But Formula One is still determined to lock down Miami, Florida as a, as a Grand Prix venue. And it is, they're still confident it will happen in what they say the near future, despite the complications in fi- finalizing a location for the race. And I don't know what it is with Miami. Uh, I've been doing this show now since uh, 2016. And going back, uh, I, I've been um, covering Major League Soccer, specifically the Vancouver Whitecaps, uh, since uh, 2013. And ever since I started that show way back when, up until just recently, there was always talk about putting a Major League Soccer club in Miami. And it literally took years. And David Beckham, the one and only Bex, as uh, the the head and the face of that uh, that that group wanting to bring a major league soccer club to Miami they had nothing but setback after setback after setback looked at so many different venues in so many different parts of the city and ran into complications and roadblocks and bureaucracy and red tape so I've watched that go through the whole, whatever you want to call it, the whole process and the the number of years that it took Beckham and his group to finally get uh, land secured and a location secured for a, a stadium to get that started, get that built before they could even land a franchise or, or at least have the, uh, the, the land and everything lined up in place even before they needed to break ground, before they were granted a franchise. So I'm not really surprised that there has been this... Um, 
I don't know what you want to call it, bureaucracy or red tape or these other hurdles that uh, that Formula One is having in uh, in getting uh, the, the the Miami uh, sorted out, getting it confirmed uh, as a venue, and I think maybe. It will happen. I mean, the the fact that it's still out there, that they're still talking about it, to me suggests that there's something still worthwhile for Formula One uh, to to do. And they they, they certainly think that it's uh, been done. So they originally came to a 10-year agreement to host a a street race around the Biscayne Bay and Bayfront uh, Park area. And that was supposed to start this year. It was supposed to be on the calendar for 2019. And it was met with opposition from local residents and businesses. So the the race has been delayed indefinitely. So that location has been uh, uh, thrown to the side. Uh, so they're looking at a new one uh, around the original location of uh, the Miami Dolphins Hard Rock Stadium. Um, now there's a, a consortium uh, that's uh, led by uh, Dolphins owner Stephen Ross feels that a new plan uh, that they have would uh, create uh, less uh, uh, disruption for the local area and businesses and residences because you got to take people into consideration. I mean, for me, it's going to be no big deal watching because, I mean, let's face it, where I'm in the Pacific Northwest is about as far away in North America as I can get from Miami, unless, say, I lived in Alaska, which actually is the the crow flies is a lot closer to me than uh, Miami and Florida is. But it has to be done responsibly. It's one thing to throw a race in there, but it's got to be, uh, it's it's got to work for everyone. It can't just work for Formula One and for uh, race fans because they're only going to be in there for a week or a couple of days at a time, right? But the residents, they're going to have to put up with a lot more disruption for a, a longer point of or a longer period of time, and uh, certainly it has to work out. But um, Chloe Target Adams, who is the Formula One Global Director of Promoters and Business Relations, um, said that she is confident that a like a, a location can be found even if it means waiting for a significant or maybe not significant amount of time but it, it might take it uh, you know might take a while to finally get the Grand Prix uh, up and running and she says that they're taking a long-term view on it and uh, uh, Miami is a, definitely a city they want to be uh, be, uh, be in she says it's an electric awesome destination it's a hugely vibrant dynamic and great city to add to the Formula One calendar so again I think it would uh, be cool to see a second race in uh, in the same country, much like, uh, say, Silverstone, the British Grand Prix, and a London Grand Prix. I think, obviously, America is a huge country. It's a huge population. Americans and North Americans in general love cars and, and racing. And obviously, the country is big enough to, to make two races work. And uh, Miami being, uh, obviously, a very well-known and popular tourist uh, destination would be one uh, that would uh, certainly uh, be a good add to Formula One. So, again, we're just going to have to wait and see whether or not it gets added to the, the, the circuit, much like London. But... Again, where there's smoke, there's fire. So perhaps there's some more on that uh, to come. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit now about the British Grand Prix that's uh, coming this uh, weekend. Before we do that, let's just have a real quick uh, reminder just on some of the, uh, the the championships here and the drivers and constructors. No need to break it all down because <laughs> there's only really a couple of people that are real, uh, really figuring into it. Let's just look at the drivers' uh, championship now uh, briefly. It's uh, Lewis Hamilton on top, 197 points. Valtteri Bottas, second, 166 points. Max Verstappen, third, 126 points. Three points ahead of Sebastian Vettel with 123. And Charles Leclerc, the second Ferrari driver, rounding out the top five with 105 points. So, obviously, it looks like a one, well, two-horse race at the moment, uh, even though um, Valtteri Bottas is about 30 points behind his teammates. Still, a lot of racing left to come. So, if a couple of results go his way and a couple of results don't go Lewis Hamilton's way that gap could even out and close uh, significantly so we'll wait and see if uh, whether or not uh, Valtteri can make a legit run at the world championship as we go into the summer break and into the second half of the season next month and now on the constructor side it's going to be a Mercedes uh, constructors world championship again unless something drastic and completely unexpected unrealistic happens because they are just running away with it with 363 points Ferrari second in the constructors with 228 points and then top 
three is uh, sorry the third team in the top three obviously is Red Bull Racing they have 169 points and basically all of those have come from <laughs> Max Verstappen his teammate Pierre Gasly really has not contributed as much as you would expect for uh, or, or to see from the, another Red Bull uh, driver so uh, Max has been pulling uh, I guess you could say the lion's share no pun intended uh, but uh, certainly those are all coming uh, mostly from him. And then, of course, uh, as we were talking about last week, uh, McLaren is in fourth in the uh, Constructors' Championship with 52 points, so good to see them up where they are. Anyway, so let's just take a quick look now at some of the stats around uh, Silverstone. It's a 52-lap race with a, a circuit length of 5.89 kilometers, a race distance of just over 306 kilometers. The lap record was set by Lewis Hamilton back in 2017, and that was a one-minute 30.621 kilometers, or sorry, a one-minute 30.621 there's no such thing as kilometers when it comes to time. It's just minutes and seconds, isn't it? Anyways, the tires that Pirelli are bringing to the Grand Prix this weekend are the hard C1s, the medium C2s, and the soft C3s. So it is, uh, well, do we really think that anybody other than uh, Mercedes is going to win this one? It seems unlikely, but I guess nobody really expected to see Max Verstappen win the Austri- Sorry, the Austrian Grand Prix a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it certainly looked like as though it was going to be uh, another Mercedes weekend, but it, it didn't turn out that way once they actually hit the ground in Spielberg. And once we got to race day itself, it was uh, anything but uh, Mercedes. And uh, they just, it, it all came down to a cooling issue. I mean, it was very hot. It was about 35 degrees, track temperature, obviously a lot more than that. I really don't think we're going to see 35 degrees at Silverstone this weekend, but who knows? It, uh, it to me it seems uh, almost a foregone conclusion that uh, that uh, Mercedes is uh, not going to uh, to win this one. Uh, or, or I should say that is a foregone conclusion that they will. Uh, we have seen at times uh, this year that uh, that they haven't uh, been as strong. I mean, uh, Bahrain was one uh, that uh, that Ferrari definitely let uh, slip through their fingers, but uh, at all the other tracks they've looked pretty unbeatable. I mean, uh, that's the the only way to really look at it. I mean, the only time that they had any other issues was uh, was at Monaco, and that was more down to a poor uh, choice of tires for Lewis Hamilton, or it's not really by, by him, but uh, by the team, and he really fought hard to, to stay out front and uh, really uh, did a, a wonderful job to win that race and keep uh, Max Verstappen at bay for so long. So uh, until we see more teams or a Red Bull or Ferrari or somebody challenging Mercedes week in, week out, it's really hard to bet against them, isn't it? I mean, it, it really is uh, looking like a another Mercedes runaway season. But again, Formula One can be unpredictable. And last year was, I thought, like a really enjoyable race, especially late in the race when we had some safety car periods and that uh, really sort of closed up the the the, the, the running order and uh, really made for a, an exciting finish. So it uh, typically uh, tends to be a, a good race. Obviously, it's going to be a very pro Lewis Hamilton crowd. Uh, Lewis loves to go body surfing there when he wins the race. Last year, he didn't uh, didn't win. But still, I, I quite enjoyed it. I'm hoping for similar action on the track uh, this year. So uh, we shall see how it turns out. Anyways, they have announced that uh, this week that they're going to drop the controversial DRS zone. Um, so that included the, the first two sweeps of the Silverstone track, and uh, that has been uh, dropped. So it'll just be two areas where they can activate uh, the DRS after the uh, the addition of a, a third zone last year, from, and that was from the exit of the final corner until the breaking into uh, turn three. It was a, it was a sort of a push to use the DRS in several of the circuits layouts in order to boost uh, the the overtaking. Uh, but enough, uh, many of the cars didn't have enough uh, cars, or sorry, enough of the cars didn't have enough uh, downforce to be able to go through the fast Abbey right-hander with DRS open, and uh, that led to both uh, Roman Grosjean, and Marcus uh, Ericsson crashing at the corner uh, after they failed to disengage the, the DRS in the time. So, uh, and and Lewis Hamilton was uh, <laughs> he, he was quite, quite blunt about it. He uh, described that uh, additional DRS zone as the kind of of a pointless exercise and just kind of dangerous. So <laughs> that kind of uh, is not really a glowing endorsement uh, of it. And then uh, on the on the flip side, as I was saying, I'm not really 
expecting anyone other than Mercedes to win, especially when you have Ferrari coming out saying that uh, they don't believe that uh, Silverstone is going to, to suit its car. So again, we see that uh, the, the struggles for, for Ferrari uh, continue, at least on paper, at least theoretically, at least uh, what they're saying before the Grand Prix itself. Of course, it could be completely different once we get into uh, get to the track itself and we start racing, but uh, team principal Mattia Bonato is uh, uh, you know quite fortunate coming and uh, is just being pretty upfront and straightforward and uh, he flat out says uh, and I quote we do not expect Silverstone to suit our car particularly well but at every race we have seen that the balance of power can change often unexpectedly uh, we are bringing a further small aerodynamic modification as we continue to push hard on the development of our car uh, the weekend will also be an opportunity to increase our understanding of the recent work we uh, we did which has seen us close the gap to our competitors on specific types of of track so uh you know they're 135 points behind mercedes and the constructors and uh well vettel who is uh, ferrari's best place driver in the uh, in the world championship is uh 74 points behind lewis hamilton so it doesn't really seem uh well let's let, let's just be honest about it, it it's going to take a miracle for them to uh to, to turn the season around uh, now and uh i don't want to write it off for them obviously they can still win uh, races uh, this year and at times they have looked uh, pretty p- pacey but they uh, have often been their own uh, worst enemy and um, mercedes team uh, principal Toto wolf uh, he came out and said earlier this week that he feels that uh, ferrari lost uh, their momentum uh, for for the uh, the, uh, the championship the, this uh, this year back uh, as far as uh, bahrain when uh, when charles uh, leclerc suffered the uh, mechanical issue late in the race and obviously he did finish uh, third and that that, uh, that podium was uh, pretty much saved by a, a late race uh, safety car after the, uh, the the two Renault cars both inexplicably and embarrassingly basically retired from the race at the exact same moment. And uh, Sebastian Vettel had a little wobble there when uh, uh, fighting with uh, Lewis Hamilton. But that was the, the the race that really got away from them because uh, the, uh, the the race before in Australia, I think that everybody was uh, extremely surprised how uh, Valtteri Bottas came out and flew away from everyone. I mean, he was even, uh, you know, arm's length uh, ahead of uh, Lewis Hamilton. Uh, nobody was really able to stick with him and challenge him in that uh, that that race. And that was the first shot across the bow for Ferrari because that was the first time we saw another car. Well, we saw a Red Bull just uh, pass them uh, under, uh, uh, well, obviously there was a DRS, but uh, pass the Ferrari uh, of Sebastian Vettel on the straight there. That was Max Verstappen who ended up uh, coming in P3. And uh, Vettel wasn't very pacey in that race at all. And then we had the team orders uh, with uh, Charles Leclerc having to, to hold station behind Vettel for P3. And it's difficult, uh, you know, especially when you lose a momentum like that, especially, well, in any sport, really, but uh, in uh, th- that early in the season, I think uh, for Ferrari was uh, very, very difficult. And and uh, Total Wolf uh, said that uh, he believes that the momentum that Ferrari had after uh, Bahrain was uh, was lost because they did have the quickest car. They should have uh, run the, 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 the race. And then, again, even in uh, Baku, um, uh, Wolf went on to say that uh, that uh, uh, Charles Leclerc was the quickest guy and then he had that uh, accident in Q2 going through that very narrow chicane and it really has been a, a question of momentum uh, for Ferrari like they do have a completely different uh, uh, philosophy when it came to designing this year's car compared to uh, uh, to Mercedes and the biggest problem that they've had is uh, with uh, with the, with the downforce and not being able to get enough uh, temperature into the tires to get them really operating in that uh, that sweet zone in that in that sweet spot and they really have struggled all year and because of that they really haven't been able to establish any momentum and even though their uh, championship uh, challenge did fade out last year, especially after the summer break. Um, you know, I'm thinking Monza, Singapore races like that because with the the, the Belgian Grand Prix, Vettel was uh, he he looked great. I mean, he was uh, strong. He was uh, quicker than uh, Lewis Hamilton, and uh, was able to handily beat him by a couple of seconds to take that win. But after that's that's when it went went south for them. But 
before that, it really was a toss-up. Like basically any any race that they went to last year, it was either going to be Ferrari or Mercedes. And then, of course, Red Bull did manage to sneak in some races here or there. I mean, China was a very good uh, win for them last year, but that came down more to the fact uh, that they were just uh, very uh, reacted very well under the safety car after that uh, uh, Max Verstappen and Sebastian Vettel came together in that uh, that hairpin. But uh, anyways. This year, Ferrari has regressed. Uh, the, the the promise that they had with the uh, the SF ninety one in winter testing just did not translate to the actual uh, racing itself, and that, that and that is a shame. And it it is it is disappointing. Let let's let's be honest that uh, that nobody has really been able to challenge Mercedes on a, on a more consistent basis. And it, it is a bit of a shame that that uh, uh, Bottas and Hamilton haven't really had uh, you know too many close uh, uh, scraps uh, together. But of, of course, they don't want to want to go back to the uh, Hamilton Rosberg uh, era. And uh, who knows? It's uh, it is disappointing, like I say, that Ferrari hasn't been able to mount a stronger challenge. But at some point this year, they're just gonna they're, they're just gonna shelve it, right? They're gonna get to the point that it's not gonna be worthwhile trying to put any more time and development into the car that they have because the, the the championship for them is now basically lost they're 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 too far behind both in the constructors and the drivers and they're going to start focusing on next year so that will be the 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 big question is not when or if but when are they going to switch focus from this year's car into next year's car and just uh basically cut their losses and just uh, finish out the year with what they have and then reap what rewards that they can or just try and struggle through from from here on out. Anyways, I've gone out a little bit long here in this second segment, so I'm just going to uh, take another break here. And after we come back, we're going to discuss the topic that Verstappen is now possibly a better driver than Lewis Hamilton, according to Christian Horner. So anyways, don't go away. We'll be back after this very short break. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. All right, welcome back to Scuderia F1 here on the Overtime Media Network. And as I hinted before the race, or sorry, before the race, it's obviously before the race, but before the break, that Christian Horner, the team principal at Red Bull Racing, says that he believes Max Verstappen is now a better driver than Lewis Hamilton. And that is quite the statement to make. Obviously, Lewis Hamilton, a very successful driver in Formula One, five-time world champion since he first entered way back in uh, 2007 and uh, since that time he has amassed 79 wins 142 podiums 86 pole positions 42 fastest laps 3,215 career points, five world championships, and his, uh, well, his record speaks for itself, doesn't uh, doesn't it? Max Verstappen, on the other hand, is uh, now in his fifth season in Formula One. His first race was way back in 2015 at the Australian Grand Prix. And in that time, he has uh, started 90 Grand Prix, has six wins, 25 podiums, five fastest laps, and has amassed an impressive 796 world championship points in that time and of course you can't compare Max and Lewis Hamilton head-to-head Max is only 21 Lewis is 34 so obviously he's been in the sport for a very very long amount of time but I mean the thing is Lewis great driver around uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, the course of a lap there is nobody quicker and 
the thing is, though, what Max Verstappen did last weekend in uh, in Austria was impressive. And we have seen over the, the four and a half years that Max has been in Formula One that this guy has a lot of the attributes, ticks a lot of the boxes, if you will, for what you're looking for in a top Formula One driver. And certainly to me, he looks like he has all the attributes to become a, a Formula One world championship. Obviously, he hasn't had uh, the, the, the car quite over the past uh, several seasons. But I mean, he's gone from a Toro Rosso into a Red Bull. He wins his very first race for Red Bull at the 2016 Spanish Grand Prix, and he's never really looked back. And the thing is, Max is an exciting driver to watch. He's aggressive. He's fast. He's extremely good in the wet. And all the great drivers that uh, that, that we talk about, Ayrton Senna was was great in the in the rain. Michael Schumacher was uh, great in the rain. And uh, Max Verstappen just the same. I mean, go back uh, to what was it, the Brazilian Grand Prix a couple of years ago when it was wet. Max just uh, passing uh, people left, right, and center in places that you would never expect uh, to see a car pass in dry conditions, uh, let alone. Uh, when it's wet, when there when there's no grip, but somehow Max is able to find these things. So he certainly does have all these uh, attributes, like I say, to uh, to become a, a world champion. And uh, the other week in uh, in Austria, it was impressive to see what uh, what Max did. He had the best car on the day, and he made the use of it. I mean, it, it's one thing to be a good driver; it's one thing to have a good car, and it's one thing to be or have the best car, even not over the course of an entire season, but even on any given Sunday, have that. Uh, that car that's better than everyone anyone else's or just working better than anyone else's and it was it was fun to watch i mean honestly i was really cheering for charles leclerc to win that uh, that race i still feel a little bit uh, bad for charles that it didn't work out for him a couple of races or several races ago now in 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 bahrain when he was so cruelly robbed of the, that race because of a mechanical issue uh, certainly he looked good in uh, in baku and qualifying he looked good in the race even though he had to start uh, back in, in the running order because of that accident that he had and uh, it's going to come. Charles Leclerc, just like Max Verstappen, is going to be in Formula 1 for a long time. Just like Max, he's got all the attributes of a top driver. And I have a feeling that once he gets uh, that that first win, it's going to be the, the, the first of uh, many. But... Um, just going back to Max Verstappen, uh, Christian Horner, like I say, he says that uh, that that he feels that he is uh, better than uh, uh, Lewis Hamilton just based on his current form. And uh, as Horner goes on to say, as uh, the driver in the form of his life, over arguably over the past 12 months, he's been the best driver in the world. How do I substantiate that? He's not in the best car, but when you look at the results he's got out of that car since Montreal last year, some of the performances he's put in, he's made virtually zero mistakes in that. Uh, period. It's only natural that there will always be the next generation coming. Lewis has got the benefit of his experience. He's still extremely quick. He's in the best car in a very well-oiled machine. Max is very much the coming man. Wouldn't it be fantastic for the sport to see those guys go head-to-head? And absolutely. And I I think that's, for me, one of the disappointments over the past couple of years. And that's a little bit uh, combined to the fact that uh, Mercedes has been better than everyone else. And Ferrari has been at times as good as uh, Mercedes or not quite uh, close enough, but I've wanted to see more head-to-head battles between Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton. I mean, come on, they got nine world championships uh, between the two of them, and there's, I, I don't think anyone out there that uh, that would not like to see these guys go head-to-head. I mean, uh, this year we saw it uh, in Montreal. I mean, Sebastian looked uh, very, very uh, good in that race, and uh, they were the only two cars that, uh, that were going to go for it. Unfortunately, that race was spoiled, depending on your point of view, of course, by the uh, the five-second ta- time penalty that was uh, given to Sebastian Vettel for that unsafe uh, re-entry onto the, the the track after he had a little wobble at uh, the, the chicane at, uh, what is that, uh, turn three or turn four at Circuit Jules Villeneuve. But hey, if it's not going to be Sebastian Vettel, then hopefully it's Max Verstappen. And hopefully it's more than the, those guys. It would be more fun, I think, to see more of these top drivers go head-to-head. But certainly the point that uh, that Christian Horner makes is that since Montreal last year, since Montreal 2018, Max has been in very, very good form. And before that, he did struggle in that season. He had uh, problems uh, at the Australian Grand Prix, he uh, in, uh, in Monaco. I mean, th- there was a number of them in those uh, opening five or six races. In Monaco, it kind of really came to uh, a culmination 
elimination. It all kind of snowballed to that point to where he crashed in uh, in FP3. The car wasn't uh, able to be fixed in time. He wasn't able to qualify. And it was just un- unfortunate for, uh, for, uh, for Max. But the thing was, he went away. He got his head uh, together. I mean, there were, you know, even uh, Helmut Marco was uh, saying things about Max being a little bit impatient. But he... I mean, give the guy credit. He went away from that as a young guy that's still obviously maturing as a person, uh, despite being in Formula One. I mean, come on, <laughs> let's be honest, guys. I think back to what you were like when uh, when you're 21, and then imagine you're racing in Formula One. I mean, uh, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of responsibility. So, I mean, uh, Max, very much. We've basically watched him grow up uh, before our eyes, and we're still watching him do that. So, I mean, the point is, you take a guy, a young guy like that, in that situation where you've got all this talent you've got all this opportunity in front of you but you know things aren't uh, going quite right but I mean like I say credit to the guy he went away from Monaco he had a, a pretty decent race I mean he managed to make up a, a, a number of positions during the race about uh, the only person that that, that that did so anyways he goes away from that comes to Montreal a couple of weeks later no entourage not even his dad Yoss who's obviously also a former a former Formula One driver and he goes there quietly has a very very good uh, weekend and from there he hasn't uh, looked back since and you know he's able been able to get a couple of uh, wins every now and again um the the two that really stand out for me was uh was austria last weekend and uh or two weekends ago i should say and very much reminded me of a a, a, a nigel mansell type performance from way back in the day the way that he just charged through the field and uh, went on to win that race and the other one that uh, that stands out as well uh, was the mexico Grand Prix last year when, uh, well, I mean, Red Bull obviously uh, over the past couple of years have never really been favorites to win any races and usually they've done so just through their reacting on the track like i was seeing just now china was an excellent uh, example of that and uh, but when they got to, to mexico the the renault engine that they had last year just really performed better than all the rest in the, the in, in the thinner air and the in the higher altitude of mexico city so those are two that really stand out for me but the thing is i mean lewis hamilton still the best driver still in the best car and he's still in the the, the best team in that combo i mean you know <laughs> you're ticking three uh, boxes there <laughs> the best guy best car best team uh, but I mean Max is doing some impressive things with less I mean Red Bull don't have the budgets that uh, that Mercedes do I, I, I believe that uh, Ferrari spent something and I, I can never remember if it's dollars or pounds anyways I think it is dollars so I, I think that Ferrari spent something in the neighborhood of about 420 440 million dollars this year Mercedes about 400 and then I believe that uh, Red Bull's uh, budget this year was about 200 million or uh, somewhere in that neighborhood a little bit more than that uh, perhaps anyways so I mean it, they are one of the top teams the the, the the fact of the matter is they're not Mercedes but out of the the, uh, the, the, the 10 teams in Formula One there is only one Mercedes and uh, Max I think uh, even though he is at Red Bull has done some very impressive things so you know where's it going to go from there we will wait and see I mean the the, the Honda engine is looking uh, very good they certainly seem to be getting better and better all the time and the the one thing that Christian Horner is actually looking towards to now is uh, Max Verstappen's uh, future and he says that uh, contract clauses won't decide what uh, what uh, Max's future at Red Bull is and uh, he says that uh, he he believes that because he says that uh, Max is genuinely believing in the the, the team's project uh, with Honda and uh, Max's contract runs to the end of uh, 2020 but who knows I mean obviously if he's out of contract which other team in Formula One wouldn't want him as one of their drivers? Obviously, I think uh, beside uh, besides Red Bull, there would be only two other logical choices uh, for for him to, to to go to in terms of teams. Obviously, one of them is Scarlet Red, one of them is Silver. <laughs> Obviously, that's Ferrari and uh, Mercedes. But um, but uh, but Horner really really figures that uh, that uh, because of the work that Red Bull are doing with Honda and the fact that uh, that that Max is uh, fully buying into that um, that uh, that they are, are going to keep him there, and uh, he says that there's an awful lot of speculation about Max's contract and what's going to ha- happen after that. And he says that, or he has confirmed that there are some uh, performance clauses, and but that's uh, standard practice for all the leading teams. And uh, Christian says, uh, and a quote said, "There are performance criteria in all the top drivers' contracts, which are probably mirrored in 
both Ferrari and Mercedes drivers' contracts as well. The win in Austria doesn't change anything as far as we're concerned. And beyond contracts, if you're holding a driver just because of a piece of paper, that isn't the right relationship uh, to have. Max genuinely believes in the project we have and the skill set we have as a team and the Honda progress and development. And he very much buys into that, irrelevant of any piece of paper. He enjoys being in the team and he believes in its uh, potential. And certainly, I think there is a lot uh, to that uh, comment uh, by, by Christian Horner because that was going to be the big question, right? That coming into this year, going with the Honda engines after all these years with uh, Renault and all the races and all the championships uh, that they won, both drivers and constructors, it really was almost uncharted territory, but they did have the benefit of running Honda engines in their junior team in Toro Rosso for, for one season. So it was, was a try-before-you-buy scenario for Red Bull. So there really was nothing to lose. They had the Renault engines at the back of their own cars. They've got the, the Honda engine the back of their, their sister team in Toro Rosso. So they're getting the telemetry, they're getting the feedback, and so they were able to make a wise and informed decision. And once they decided to go with Honda and decided to make that break that Honda came out and said that their benchmark was to make sure that Red Bull was going to be no worse off than where they were with Renault. So maybe that sounds like a little bit of a low bar to set, but I don't really think so. I mean, you look at where Honda has come from and where they've gotten to over the past couple of years, and we don't need to go into the whole McLaren-Honda dumpster fire. I mean, that's uh, been discussed pretty much ad nauseum even on this podcast. But the point is that they are basically at that level that they were with the Renault engines, perhaps slightly ahead. I mean, they were, you know, nicking race wins here and there with Renault Power last year. So, I mean, they only have the one uh, win this year, but hey, they're the only team other than Ferrari to win one race or win a race this year out of the first nine races. So that's something in itself. And the fact that they're, you know, they don't have as many points in the Constructors uh, Championship uh, this year is like I said earlier, it's, it's more to do to the fact that they don't have two consistent drivers that are scoring consistent or uh, we're scoring points on a consistent basis in past years you had Max Verstappen and Danny Ricardo at uh, at Red Bull and that's that's a pretty strong uh, and solid lineup of drivers and Pierre Gasly for whatever reason he's still growing into it still not uh, delivering uh, quite uh, where he needs to be and who knows how that's going to end at uh, at Red Bull obviously that's not really a destination for drivers to come and uh, and and try and develop i mean they're expected to to uh, be contenders to or or at least maybe not contenders for well, I guess, yeah, let, let's be fair. They are going to be contenders for, for race wins. They're expected to perform highly. And if it uh, doesn't work out, then there is a record. You will get cut from the team. Just ask uh, Danny Kvyat. He went from Toro Rosso into uh, Red Bull and then back to Toro Rosso in, uh, in, in somewhat a bit of a disgrace. And then that uh, it was at his expense that Max got his uh, kick at the can at Toro Rosso. And certainly he hasn't uh, looked back. So uh, there is a little bit more to talk about uh, and I'll do that after I take this final break here on the show this week on Scuderia F1 and we'll be back in just one moment. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. Time to start closing it down now as we head into the final segment, and we're just going to stick with the um, uh, with the uh, the Honda and the Red Bull uh, theme just for the moment here. And uh, the the final bit of news of that is Honda are, ta- are targeting faster qualifying modes as their next step in their engine up- uh, upgrade program this season, and uh, they've uh, they're targeting this improved qualifying mode following their first victory back in Formula One. Uh, a couple of weeks ago in Austria and that was their first win in 13 years which is still a bit of a, a mind blower but uh, certainly the development that uh, that Honda is making in Formula 1 it's tangible now it's noticeable they have a lot of power they got a lot of reliability who knows? Maybe somewhere secretly at McLaren, they're feeling, uh, maybe they're wondering if they should have stuck with him. But hey, let, let's be fair to, uh, to to McLaren. Now that they've had Renault for the the, the second uh, season, they are doing uh, pretty good. Like I was saying earlier, they're fourth in the world championship, uh, in the constructors championship, I should say, at the moment. And uh, they're, they're looking uh, quite uh, pacey, looking uh, pretty good. So slowly but surely, things are, are working out for McLaren. And hey, that was a handy segue because uh, now we're just going to talk about 
about how uh, the budget cap is the only way for McLaren to fight their way into the top three again. And that uh, comes from the mouth of uh, McLaren team principal, Andreas Seidel. And he says that uh, the incoming budget cap is the only way that uh, uh, Mercedes, or sorry, that uh, McLaren can fight with the Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull again. And uh, well, they need something, right? I mean, they have not won a race since 2012. And that, uh, that's a long, long time. And they haven't had a championship success since 2008, which is when... Uh, Hamilton won his first world championship. So it's been a very, very long time since they've uh, tasted uh, success. And he said that, uh, or Seidel that is, says that uh, they, they know as a team that uh, they under, uh, under underachieve with the possibilities that they have, the infrastructure, infrastructure budget, the know-how, all those uh, things. He said uh, they, they should be better with what they have. Um, but, you know, <laughs> it, that just hasn't, hasn't been the case. Um, his goal, Seidel's goal, that is, is to what he says to unleash the potential of the team with the circumstances that they have and uh, well like everyone else he's looking towards what the 2021 regulations are going to bring and he's hoping that's going to go what he calls in the right uh, direction but he says the one thing that is clear if they want to be competitive in the future and fight with the others they need that level uh, playing field and uh, he believes that the the, the budget cap uh, is the only way that uh, they're ever going to be able to compete uh, with the other uh, three big teams Team. So it's uh, it certainly is um, an interesting admission from uh, from a guy that's uh, head of a team, a, a big team. And obviously, like I said, it has been a very, very long time since they've tasted success. But that just goes to show you once you fall off of the top in Formula One, how difficult it is to, to, to get back into a, a competitive uh, position. I mean, McLaren is just a one case study. Uh, Williams is a, a completely different one. So it, it is interesting that, uh, you know, to, to hear that admission from one of the big wigs at McLaren that that uh, that's really they need that help and a level playing field financially to get back into position to really uh, be uh, competitive. And another thing, I have to admit that I, I like what I'm hearing from Andreas Seidel. Uh, obviously, um, he's just uh, new in the job. I mean, I came there from the, uh, the the Porsche LMP1 project, and he's only been there at uh, McLaren for a couple of uh, months. But And he pushed for a new uh, wind tunnel basically from, from day one. And uh, that was announced uh, basically two months after he officially took uh, control or uh, uh, took up his position as a team principal and uh, basically the agreement that he has with the uh, CEO Zach Brown and the owners of McLaren is to identify and correct uh, weaknesses or his perceived weaknesses in the team as, uh, as soon as possible and he goes on to say that uh, he wants the team to embrace a more risky approach to car development uh, in a bid to move uh, further up the, 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 the grid and uh, he says that the most important thing is to see continuous development and continuous uh, improvement for the team uh, and, and it's in, important for them to to take time to go into details in terms of methods and tools that they're using to develop the car and to develop the technology because it's the foundation for what he calls an aggressive development that, that is required to overcome the deficit and the uh, and, and the, uh, the the gap that they have big teams in front of them. And also in other McLaren news, they've uh, confirmed that uh, they're going to retain uh, Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris for 2020, uh, which I think is a, a really good uh, move for them. Uh I sometimes th- think that it's a was a bit of a bold move uh, by them to go with uh, Science and uh, and Norris for, for this year. I mean, Science had never really been obviously with a big team in Formula One before. He was at Toro Rosso and then at uh, at Renault last year. Lando Norris, although touted as a as a very uh, you know very very talented youngster with a potential uh, to take that into Formula One has impressed I mean he's been getting better and better all season long and uh, at uh, at the French Grand Prix several weeks ago he really uh, did uh, well to overcome some uh, mechanical issues late in the race and that was a, a fine piece of uh, driving so a good mood a good move in my opinion to uh, to keep them uh, for for 2020 so there's still a number of things uh, to to get through until the uh, the end of the, uh, the the show here. I don't think we're going to get uh, through all of them, but that's uh, that's okay. There's all. I, I'd rather have too many things to talk about in the in the time that we have than uh, than, than not enough. But we'll get through what we can. And Robert Kubica, the R- uh, Williams driver, says that the struggles uh, that the team has had this year cast what he calls a shadow on his uh, F1 uh, uh, return achievement, and uh, that is uh, how, well. He says uh, he thinks that it's uh, sometimes been forgotten how big of an achievement. 
achievement it, it was for him to return to Formula One. And of course, uh, Kubica was a Formula One driver, uh, you know, over a decade ago, but his uh, his uh, career was cut short back in uh, 2011 when he had uh, a crash while uh, uh, driving a rally car that led to the partial amputation of his forearm. So it uh, he did get some uh, an opportunity to test with Williams uh, and Renault, and then he was the reserve driver of Williams uh, last year, and that became a, a race drive for this year. And he went on to say that he's, uh, he didn't regret what he decided, and he said that frustration is not a correct word because he says that he believes uh, that in the end it's better being in Formula One rather than sitting at home at the sofa and watching it, uh, Formula One on uh, television. He said that uh, he would be happier if he was uh, higher up in the racing order and having less uh, problems. But uh, he says in the in the past few months, the, the, the difficult uh, situations put a lot of shadow on what he has achieved and the big achievement it is for him to get back there. And then uh, he goes on to say that uh, that uh, sometimes you, you forget because Formula One is such a fast sport and everything that happens very fast, uh, you forget in the end, um, you know, the, the achievement uh, that he was working on for, for very, uh, you know, for, for a number of years. And that is true. I mean, uh, from, from that point of view, it is a very impressive, um, you know, uh, accomplishment uh, for him. But the car that they have, the FW42, is it's a couple of seconds off of the pace, but it is interesting, despite the, the the fact that they've been at the bottom of Formula One for the past couple of years, Williams that is, that um, they believe that the foundation for this year's car, the FW42, is a good base for the car going into to next year, and even despite the the, the poor uh, form that they've had on track this year, so they've really been behind the eight ball basically right from the very get-go they showed up late to winter testing in spain and the the biggest uh, problem that uh, they they've had is uh, a lack of downforce but their senior race engineer dave robson said that there's no fundamental problems with the with the car design and they really lack development relative uh, to, to to their opposition so it is encouraging on one hand and discouraging on the other. I mean, it is encouraging that uh, that uh, somebody with the technical know-how and uh, and and understanding of the car believes that the the, the foundation of the car and the, the the basics of the car are very good, and that there is a potential to take what they have in the car from this year and take it forward into next year. And hopefully, they can do something with it. Whether or not uh, they can uh, move that uh, forward and uh, and get a better car for next year, that really remains to, to to be seen. I mean, they are uh, way off uh, pace uh, compared to everyone else, and that is even with a uh, uh, you know a, a Mercedes engine in the back. So certainly, I hope that uh, that it does work out for them, and uh, well, at least they can take maybe a little bit of heart, a little bit of motivation that uh, that McLaren, that even though they never really hit quite rock bottom like Williams have, they've come awfully close in the past couple of years, but uh, 2019 has been a, a revelation, or sorry, a revelation uh, for McLaren this year, and uh, I, for one, am uh, glad to see them uh, pulling their way back up uh, through the grid and uh, being the best of the rest, currently fourth in world championship. I think uh, even though it, it sounds like celebrating mediocrity it isn't really because they've come a long way in a relatively short amount of time and i'd love to see uh, mclaren uh, keep uh, pulling it forward and, uh, and and improving and like to see uh, williams do exactly the same thing now just uh, talking about a couple of other things here quickly before we uh, we close it down uh, lance stroll admits that uh, the q1 exits are what he calls quote a pain in the arse and that's going back quite a long time because he has not made it out of Q1 so far this year and his early qualifying exits go back as far as last year and that's now 13 consecutive races that he's not been able to make it out of Q1. And uh, Stroll says, quote, I know in the back of my mind it's just a process and right now it's a bit of uh, pain in the arse on a Saturday. I don't take the last year into account because that's where the car was on Saturdays, but this year moving forward I see a very exciting season ahead and I know our Sundays are really strong. And ultimately, if I could sign up on Sundays for points rather than doing well on Saturdays, I would. We've proven that we can do well in races, but it's still an area we can build on and we just have to keep working on it. And he goes on to saying that it's just tiny things um, that uh, that keep him from getting out of Q1. And he says, I know that on uh, many occasions uh, we could have um, been in Q2, but shit happens. Well, you know what? That's that's fair enough. I mean, you can make uh, the, uh, the 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 case for traffic and different things like that, but thirteen races in a row, bro. It's not always traffic. 
Just admit it. You're not good at qualifying. You've had some good races, but 13 races in a row, not getting out of uh, Q1. I think that's more on you than traffic or wind or sun getting in your eyes. So yeah, take that one with a bit of a a pinch of salt. And this one I had to kind of shake my head at a a little bit here, and that's Rich Energy. They were the title sponsor for uh, Haas F1. They announced earlier today via Twitter, which is very contemporary and forward thinking of them, that they've decided to terminate their sponsorship uh, deal with uh, Haas uh, F1, citing poor performance. So their tweet reads as follow. Today, Rich Energy terminated our contract with Haas F1 for poor performance. We aim to beat Red Bull Racing and being behind Williams Racing in Austria is unacceptable. The politics and PC attitude in F1 is also inhibiting our business. We wish the team well. Hashtag F1, hashtag rich energy. So this is uh, from a, a company that uh, they came out and said that they wanted to be better than Red Bull, both on the track and off the track, and have decided to pull the plug on their sponsorship deal in the not even, well, just not even half a season in Formula One, so a bit uh, bizarre. And, uh, well, they were also in legal trouble because of the logo that they had, this sort of a stylized stag's head or whatever it was, uh, basically infringed upon the, uh, the the logo of a bicycle company. So they've had uh, their issues. And, um, re- sorry, Haas has not made a, a, a comment as of yet, but uh, Gunther Steiner has uh, hinted that uh, there might be coming uh, at some point, so they will comment on it. And Finally, I don't even know what where to file or where to put this, but there was an article on uh, ESPN.co.uk in their Formula One section, and that was came from the lips of Bernie Ecclestone, former head honcho of Formula One, where he says, I would take a bullet for Vladimir Putin, who is uh, the Russian uh, president. And this was uh, in a rambling and bizarre interview in the Times uh, newspaper in the UK. And uh, and Ecclestone uh, went on to say, and I quote, if someone had a machine gun and was prepared to shoot Putin, I would stand in front of him because he's a good guy. He's never done anything that isn't doing good things for people. So I don't know. I can't really speak to, to about what, what Vladimir Putin does or doesn't do. But certainly that is just one of those unexpected kind of bizarre comments. But maybe Bernie knows Vladimir Putin and maybe he has good reason to say what he say. But honestly, Bernie, I don't know what to, <laughs> what to do with that. That was just one of those weird kind of quotes that popped up and... I'm just going to leave it there for you guys to decide what to do with it. Anyways, guys, that is a wrap. Going to leave it right there. Thank you very much for downloading and listening to the show. If you want to get in touch, best way is to do so via the email at scuderiaf1pod at gmail.com or on Twitter at scuderiaf1pod. Read all the tweets, read all the emails. And we love hearing from you guys. Love getting in touch uh, with with all of you and talking F1. And that's it. That's a wrap. Enjoy the British Grand Prix. We'll be back again this time next week. And until then, have a great weekend. Enjoy the race. And we'll talk to you again very, very soon. Ciao. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com.